0: For your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, December 7th, 2015. Hard to believe we're going to have a full normal week here barring any unforeseen circumstances. You know, in other words, Lord willing. Yeah, but this is one of those programs today where you might want to take all of the proper precautions. Just say it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down and stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to open up our Bible And compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolates. And uh, those uh, generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the word of God. Yes, the word is instead of and um, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says or if they're twisting God's Word and generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to be teaching. Now, yeah, that's what this program is about. And in the process, we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. Some of the things that we cover here at Fighting for the Faith is just so patently absurd that about the only thing you can do is laugh at it and just wonder why is it that anybody would think that this has anything to do with God. Now out there in the general church world, out there in the general church world, there is a large debate and it's been raging ever since the, um, well, the so-called uh, rise of the Pentecostal movement uh, via the Azusa Street revival. And that has to do with the ongoing, uh, well, the ongoing, if well, how do I put this? Whether certain gifts, you know, prophetic gifts are continuing or if they've ceased. And I know a lot of people who are kind of on the fence, and I understand that trepidation. I really do. Yeah, but the reality of the situation is, is that you do not have to be a cessationist to discover whether or not somebody like a Heidi Baker or a Patricia King Or, you know, somebody like a Chuck Pierce or others who are claiming to be manifesting the Holy Spirit to know with certainty that they're not. It's really simply a matter of comparing what it is that you're seeing manifest and comparing it to the written word of God. And over and again, even if you are not a cessationist, even if you're sitting there going, well, I can't. I I'm not convinced by the cessationist arguments that the you know that certain gifts per, particularly the sign gifts not the gift of teaching things like you know that's a, that's a gift the gift of discernment it's an ongoing gift but uh, the church doesn't need prophets anymore no we have the sure and certain word of god uh, but uh, even if there were people out there you know that were prophetic you know the question is are they true prophets or false prophets? In the scriptures, Jesus himself warns us that in the last day, there would be a proliferation not of true prophets, but of false prophets. And all you got to do is open up your Bible and compare what these people are saying and sit there and go, why would God the Holy Spirit manifest himself in signs and wonders among this, you know, people who, well completely pan the written word of God, are openly disobedient to the word of God, i.e., you know, women pastors and preachers and teachers, and who, who you know, just egregiously twist God's word so badly that the, they're not even remotely even teaching what's close to what's considered sound biblical doctrine. So the idea is, you know, kind of the question is, why would God the Holy Spirit manifest himself among People who are rebelling against what he's already revealed in his written word. The answer is, he wouldn't. <laughs> These are not real manifestations of the Spirit, and we know this by studying the Word. So, cessationist or not, you can know that you know people like Patricia King and Heidi Baker and others, they're not manifesting the real Holy Spirit. And In fact, uh, they're doing things that they ought not to be doing, and teaching things that they ought not to be teaching— which means if they were hearing from God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would be saying, knock that off. You need to repent. But, uh, yeah, see, they're not really hearing from the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I will definitely have to, uh, in order to protect the audience of Fighting for the Faith, play our standard warning today. It's one of those programs. And we're going to start off with a Heidi Baker update. Yep, we're going to start, start off with a Heidi Baker update. And uh, listen to her, you know, via Marilyn Hickey's, uh, is that her name, Marilyn Hickey? Uh, yeah, it's Hickey TV on <laughs> on, on uh, YouTube. Uh, but uh, via Marilyn Hickey Ministries at the Global Awakening Conference, uh, Heidi Baker delivered a ser- sermon? I, I don't know what this thing is. It's just uber creepy. But, um, yeah, we'll listen to Heidi Baker, so we have a Heidi Baker update. And then we're going to do an extended... Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update. We will begin with well, um, we'll, we'll start with uh, Barbie Breathitt. Yeah, that's who we'll begin with, and uh, and then who is this guy? I don't think I've reviewed him before. Hang on a second here. I got to make sure I got his name right. Um, his name is Kevin Basconi. Yes, we've covered Kevin Basconi before, and uh, we'll listen to Kevin Basconi as he talks about. Rainbows and lightning, and <laughs> he is saying stuff <laughs> at this <laughs> seer school of the supernatural in in Raleigh, North Carolina. I think is where he's at. That I mean is just patently absurd. And uh, then we'll end the hour off with Patricia King. And uh, Patricia King is uh, speaking. Uh, well, her topic is the burning ones, and I think she's down under for this particular presentation. And uh, we'll listen to her as she totally mangles God's word and blames all of this on the Holy Spirit. So that's what we'll do in hour number one. And hour number two, if you've um, ever, well, yeah, if you're a fan of the movie The War Room, um, you know, I hate to break it to you, but uh, that, ain't some, that ain't good theology in the war room. And uh, yeah, Priscilla Schreier, we've demonstrated it before, and now we have another example of it again. This is not a woman who is a sound exegete. She is a gifted communicator, but she is not a sound exegete. Which means, despite the fact that she's able to, you know, with quite, with amazing skill, hold the attention of an audience, does not mean that you should be listening to her as far as her being a Bible teacher. She is a Bible twister extraordinaire, kind of of the same stripe of uh, Stephen Furtick. But she is also one of these ones, and you'll hear overtones of it in today's sermon review, where she is teaching really, you know, strains of the word of faith heresy. And so, you know, this will be one of those episodes where, you know, hopefully it'll be a resource for people ongoing to warn people about uh, the false teaching of Priscilla Schreier. She is not a sound exegete. She is not somebody that uh, you want to expose yourself to and think that she's going to be teaching you sound doctrine. She isn't. And on top of it, she disobeys God's clear word that women are not to be preaching uh, during a church service on Sunday. So, I mean, more evidence as to why you don't want to be listening to uh, Priscilla Schreier will be forthcoming in today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since the uh, the opening hour today is really kind of bizarre and off the chain, I feel like I need to play our standard warning, and then we'll get into it. Here we go.
2: So I was having this wedding, and and we had, we well we didn't have we Shabbat mm, Shabbat Shanda Yeah 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 Shabbat Oh mm, mm, mm. Shabbat mm. Shabbat,
0: mm. Shabbat. Mm. Yeah that's right This is our Heidi Baker update Shabbat music.
2: Shabbat. Devil.
0: So much and that's right, shubba, shubba. All right, so what we're going to be listening to from Heidi Baker, uh, like I said, this comes to us via Marilyn Hickey's uh, ministry uh, on YouTube. Uh, I think Marilyn Hickey's been around the TBN circles for a few decades, but uh, we're going to be listening to, Ooh. oh man, I, I don't even know how to explain it. If you've never heard Heidi Baker before, you might want to assume the crash position. Uh, go grab a you know roll of tinfoil and uh, create a tinfoil pyramid hat for yourself so that the particular wavelengths of bizarreness don't actually end up frying your brain. But uh, without any further ado, here's Heidi Baker from her globalawakening.com appearance Really not too long ago, here we go.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, demonic cackle is where we start today. Yay!
2: yeah, Just one more time! Apparently
0: she's worshipping in the spirit, but none of this makes any sense to me
2: the joy of the lord which is our strength oh release the presence of love in the house
0: so she's releasing things which scripture nowhere talks about why should i believe this is god the holy spirit answer you shouldn't i shouldn't nobody should this isn't the holy spirit that's uh, operating here
2: in the house where children are free to jump on the bed. Oh, uh,
0: releasing something of the house where the children are free to jump on the bed. Yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit's all about, uh-huh. Jumping on the bed. Yeah, more proof she's not hearing from God, the Holy Spirit. No, in Scripture explicitly, I mean, just really clearly forbids uh the speaking in tongues without an interpreter. And there she is doing it.
2: Hey, hey, hey. <laughs>
0: and creepy demonic cackle again. Yeah, you think that's the Holy Spirit? No, I, I don't. I think it's spirit, but it ain't holy.
2: Oh, Shandai, Shandai. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, wow, indeed. I Wow is right. Wow that anybody would call themselves a Christian, have a Bible, know what 1 Corinthians teaches, and would be tolerating this stuff as if it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit when it ain't.
2: <laughs> Yay. Wow. <laughs> ah. Whoa.
0: <laughs> and she's acting like she's inebriated. She might be, but uh, it's not because of the Holy Spirit.
2: Wow. Bill, I believe everything you say. I do. I want to demonstrate it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
0: what's that?
2: It's true. It's scary. <laughs> and it's so, so much fun. I'm going to tell you stories. because uh, It's like a... It's an afternoon session, but you all showed up. That's really neat. That... You, Okay, I know I'm a little kid. I am. But Shaka Baba, if we get to release things in atmosphere...
0: Shaka Baba, you get to release things? Yeah, it sounds like you're releasing some kind of spiritual Ebola thing going on. This could kill people.
2: Shaka Baba, I want to release the atmosphere of joy. Whoa.
0: She's going to release the atmosphere of joy, yeah, because... You can find the atmosphere of joy releasing um, steps, yeah, the things how you do this, Um, there in uh, 2nd Hezekiah. Mm -hmm. It's right there. Just open up your Bible to 2nd Hezekiah, chapter 96. You'll find all the steps necessary to release the atmosphere of joy, you know?
2: Because I feel like I can hardly imagine how wonderful... My life is like, I know you could, you could say, well, that's, that's not fair. There's plenty of hard stuff, but I just find joy in God. I find joy in him. I And I, I, I was with some dear friends um, at lunchtime, and we were talking. We were like, why do you think when we come in this room, you know, the the atmosphere is just so powerful? And so, ah, don't you feel that? Just the presence in God and,
0: like. Yeah, that's not the presence of God. Um, it may be the presence of something. That ain't the presence of God, though.
2: I felt the presence of God just waves all the way to the back and the front, and you know, I had I had two, three people help me to my room last night. And some of you think that's just like all the time, but
0: I'm so apparently she needed help getting to her room. She was so inebriated in the spirit. Uh huh. Hmm.
2: <laughs> I stand up a lot in Africa, and um. I, I, whoa, I just got undone. And
0: apparently, you know, she's like the Pillsbury Doughboy, you know, like, you know, you've seen the commercials where the Pillsbury Doughboy, the finger comes out of nowhere and pokes him and he goes (laughs) like that. Yeah, apparently the Holy Spirit, while she's speaking, you know, pokes her and she goes, whoa, yeah, it's kind of like that. But again, there's no biblical reason whatsoever to believe any of this is from the Holy Spirit.
2: Say, so what is it? And and there was something about the hunger in this room that just pulls the presence of God. It just pulls on who he is.
0: Yeah, that maybe, you know, moon spots. That, you know, it could be you've got cosmic moon spots in that room. That's why the spirit is so attracted to it. Notice that she's filling these people's heads with some kind of importance about themselves. She ain't exegeting a biblical text. She's not pointing him to Christ and him crucified for their sins. She's basically pointing them to themselves and how special they are because of this amazing atmospheric thingy that supposedly happens there in their midst. Yeah. hmm Right.
2: And, oh, I know there are some people that are a little fussy, but most of you are hungry.
0: And- hungry for what?
2: That kind of hunger just brings the presence of God.
0: Oh, it does. So if you're hungry, it'll bring the presence of God, says no biblical text anywhere. Again, why should we believe that she's manifesting and hearing from the Holy Spirit when she's teaching, literally just making stuff up and doctrines we've never heard before? If this was something we were supposed to believe, then why hasn't God the Holy Spirit Put this in writing for us in his words so that we can trust what she's saying is actually coming from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit.
2: I just, I just, uh, I just don't even know where to start. I'm so excited. Um, Romans. I was listening to, to Randy um, this morning. It is Randy. Larry. Sorry. I always call him Randy. I've been doing that for years. Shaka Baba. Help me, Jesus. Larry. Larry. Randy's good, too, though. You should, <laughs> you should listen. <laughs> I listen to him a lot. Uh,
0: yeah. Shaka Baba. Yeah. Whatever that is.
2: Uh, out of my whole life, I've received the most impartation from God. From Randy Clark, so.
0: Yeah, what? where again can I go in scripture to find the importance of impartations from God? I, I'm not familiar with that doctrine either.
2: It's just such a privilege um, to be in this place and to just cheer him on, you know. Just amazing. Okay, I want to start with uh, a meeting where I was really scared to be. Who I was and who I
0: Yeah, not the word of God. We're gonna start with a meeting, uh huh. Yeah.
2: And I was in Toronto where you'd think you wouldn't be worried about anything.
0: Yeah, ground zero for some of the most strangest of strange fire there is, you know, home of the and you know, ground zero for the whole so called laughing revival and guys like Rodney Howard Brown.
2: I mean, as far as, you know, falling down a wall or sliding on the floor or something, they're kind of good with all of it.
0: Ryan, right. and why should we, according to Scripture, be good with people sliding down walls and falling over and basically be inebriated and completely losing control of themselves and calling that uh, a manifestation of the Spirit? Where in Scripture are we told about that?
2: But they had a guy speaking, and he was a lot like Bill. He was very coherent and um, and, and, and really had these points, amazing points but he also had all these quotes quotes. And, and it was, I mean, it was one of those wow kind of messages. And I, I was writing as fast as I could write. I was so thrilled by what he was talking about. And I, so I was so undone by it. And I was just writing and writing and writing. And, and then I thought for a moment, yikes, I'm next. Next. Oh, and they're flowing in this flow, and I need notes and quotes. And I was trying to, you know, flow in the flow of the meeting. You know, it's...
0: Yeah, the flow of the meeting, you know, apparently there was an atmosphere of lucid thought, and she's not really comfortable operating, in, you know, lucid thought of notes and quotes and an outline and things that actually make sense, you know.
2: have, like, one long meeting, you know. And I'm trying, and so I determined in my heart. Some of you might have heard this, but I determined in my heart to get to the bookstore. I'm going to fast, obviously. And I'm going to get to the bookstore, and I'm going to get books. And I'm a speed reader, so I was going to speed read.
0: So she's making an emergency trip to the bookstore. Quick, she needs some notes and quotes. And so she's going to speed read her way to find something profound and lucid to say.
2: And I was going to write down all these notes and quotes. I figured they'd have something in their store. So I, I make my way down... Somehow, across the room, I'm trying to make my way. And much like last night, uh, I got the heavy legs.
0: The the heavy legs, yeah, because you find the manifestation of the heavy leg thing of the Holy Spirit, like nowhere in Scripture.
2: I'm trying to get to the bookstore, and this is serious now. And I'm t- explaining to Daddy God how serious this is. And I'm telling him about the flow that the meeting's flowing in. They're flowing with notes and quotes and wow kind of things that people write down. And I need some. So I'm going to get them now. And, you know, it's just that arrogance that you think you got rid of, but it's still there, back there somewhere. And I'm... And I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about it.
0: So she's walking now with heavy legs, and she's demonstrating what that looked like.
2: I'm not happy at all. I'm like, God, not now. <laughs> I'm getting notes, and I'm getting quotes.
0: So apparently God... You know, zapped her with non lucid, you know, bizarre, irrational manifestations of the spirit, including the heavy leg manifestation of the spirit, because God doesn't want her preaching anything lucid with notes and quotes.
2: And I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a message from you, God, help, God. And then I splat, and I, I.
0: And there she is, spread eagle on the floor.
2: ...right there in front of the bookstore door. (laughs) And I mean...
0: And it's the Holy Spirit that caused her to fall spread eagle on the floor of the bookstore uh, in front of the door.
2: I thought, is this funny to you? And of course... There were all kinds of snockered people everywhere. They were sliding down walls and they're like, they, they crawl over, stumble over to me and more, you know, I'm like, shut up. But they're like, more. that, that I just gave up. I didn't say shut up out loud. I just said it in my heart. And, and. After a couple hours, you know, lunch session, so at lunch, whatever, break, they, they thought this was like what happens to me at all times. You know, they'd never seen me coherent. And they, they, they just, one man picked up one leg, another one, the other one arm. They weren't gentle or anything. They just pulled me out, and then they tossed me behind the pulpit. Boom, there she is. I'll never forget it, long as I live. Because when I was stuck to that bookstore floor, not even inside, just at the gateway.
0: And and this is a manifestation of the spirit. Really, Heidi? (laughs) There.
2: And God showed me. Clown shoes.
0: God showed you clown shoes? Really? Wow, that's quite the revelation.
2: You think those fit you, but he actually said they didn't fit me. These massive clown shoes. And I saw saw them on and I was trying to walk, and I was like, boom, boom. You know, they didn't fit me at all. And he said, wear the shoes that I've given you to wear. Don't you try to walk, whoa, in somebody else's anointing. Whoa, he said, you walk in the shoes that I've given you to walk in. Shundai, there are as many kinds of ministries and way to minister as there are children on the planet.
0: Says no biblical text anywhere.
2: Whoa. And there is such freedom in being so confident in the love the father has for you that as you yield your little life, and that's just your little life. I'm very much aware of the little, but you yield your little life to the father and you just stop being afraid. It's just like, okay, where are we going?
0: Daddy? Uh huh. Yeah, I think you get the point. Is there any reason whatsoever from what she has said, which is completely new doctrine, never before seen anywhere in Scripture, um, that this is God the Holy Spirit who gave her the clown shoe revelation while she was lying flat on the floor of a bookstore uh, while she was seeking to find notes and quotes, you know, to, in order to be in the flow of a meeting over at the uh, Toronto Airport Church? there's no reason whatsoever to believe this is God from God, the Holy Spirit. She's not pointing people to Christ. She's not helping them understand the mysteries of Scripture, what Scripture really teaches. You know, she's chasing after all of these experiences and teaching these people that this is God, the Holy Spirit, who is the uh, source, if you would, of all of these nonsensical manifestations. Yet there's no reason whatsoever. In fact, many good reasons given in Scripture why we should not believe. This has anything whatsoever to do with God, the Holy Spirit. Think about it. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we got a Basconi update. We've got Barbie Breathitt and Patricia King. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back.
3: Siioprofied religiosity won't save you you're listening to fighting for the faith
4: you're listening to pirate christian radio we'll be taking your false doctrine now <laughs> And don't give up, bring up me, I'll home. Yo, ho, yo, ho, a virus life for me. We exhort we don't
1: so we go?
4: <clears throat> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. your future sacks sex of entrails. Listen up. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news straight from the top. I, I I'm sorry, I mean bottom. What's the news from the boss? The good news, gentlemen, is that our soul quotas are up by about 50% this year alone. The bad news is that we have to try harder. We're getting awfully close to Armageddon, and it's everyone's responsibility to do their worst. As we all know, the major culprit responsible for our blistering success is the continued decline of biblical intelligence amongst American evangelicals. They're just begging to be led astray by false doctrines. We barely have to try anymore. It's actually kind of depressing. Do you all remember how successful General Abraxas was with his son' standstill scheme? Yes! We would never have gotten away with a teaching like that 20 years ago. Yet, thanks to how mind-numbingly illiterate people have become with their Bibles, it worked like a miracle. Miracles? Um, um, Harrison! My fellow miscreants, I apologize. Uh, Slip of the forked tongue. Now, where was I? Ah, yes. So now our orders are to come up with the dumbest, the lamest, and most ludicrous teachings to throw at these dullards and see what sticks. Anyone got any suggestions? We, uh, we could sell indulgences so that people could, uh, uh, get time off of purgatory. That's too 13th century, Agret. If you had spent even the slightest amount of effort in your demonic studies instead of trying to reinvent the selfie... You might have known that little historical factoid. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone else? Uh, how about praying the dead saints? Done it. Women could be pastors? No, 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 no. Pastrix is already in the dictionary. We can chalk that up as a victory. Maybe we should tell everyone that they're still under the Mosaic law. And that they must obey kosher laws. And that they must not celebrate Christmas. And be total observant. Too Jewish. Come on, you worthless maggots. We've already done all these before. We need to be more creative. And by that, I mean less creative. How about swingers for Jesus? We've already done that one, you idiots. What about portals? Who who said that? Uh, I did. Well, speak up, worm. What about heavenly portals above Jerusalem. This sounds eerily like the tithing gnome, and he wasn't that popular. No, 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 you wretchedness. Uh, these are portals only above Jerusalem, and heavenly blessings fall out of them uh, on the passersby. by And, and, you'll need a map to find them. And where exactly will they procure this map? It'll come free with every purchase of a Microsoft Zoom. <laughs> Was years ago, even the pet rock had better features, and that's bad, even by our standards. Mm, that just sounds terrible. I <laughs> wouldn't Who's next? <laughs> uh, they, there's a sound membrane, a sound membrane in the sky uh, that is bulging. And it's it starting to leak! You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. That's it, your That That's all I got. Sorry. Well, that's by far the worst idea I've heard yet. And I'm satisfied. I'll just run these notes down the chain of command. Meeting is adjourned! <laughs>
2: Every
6: summer for the past 15 years, youth have been immersed in the waters of their baptism at Higher Things conferences. On January 2nd, we invite college students and young adults to the campus of Concordia University, Chicago for an evening spent drinking from the fire hose of the gospel. This unique Higher Things Lutheran Unconference will begin with a service of vespers and end with evening prayer. In between, seven incredible Lutheran pastors will take the stage for just 20 minutes each. A sit-down dinner will be provided with a Q&A session with a speaker panel. Registration is just $100 per person. Go to higherthings.org for more information. That's higherthings.org. Bum,
2: bum,
0: bum, bum. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could convince you biblically that much of what is being passed off as manifestations of the Holy Spirit today are anything but manifestations of the Spirit. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend, truly do depend, on you and your generous gifts and financial contributions. This is a partnership. We, are, we go and do the hard work, the research, the putting together of the radio program, and putting together the website of uh, marketing, all the things that we do to run Pirate Christian Radio, and you partner with us financially so that we can continue to do what we are doing and extend the reach and the offering of how we serve the body of Christ. So if you don't already support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, please do so. You You can do so by joining our crew or hitting the donate button over at a website at FightingForTheFaith.com. when you get there click on the join our crew button and uh, you can pick your rank we have the, the lowest rank is powder monkey moving all the way up from to gunner's mate to master gunner and quartermaster and the uh, monthly commitment for the powder monkey is only 9.95 a month and uh, this is a great way to support us with a recurring automatic payment so that uh, you know it helps create a good, solid foundation for us. And as you can tell from our website, we've currently completely overhauled and upgraded our website. And there are more things that we would like to add. But in order to do that, we first have to have a sure financial base to do so. So your your financial contributions and support for Fighting for the Faith not only help us maintain what we're doing, but also help us to expand. So if you're not already a crew member, please consider joining our crew. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And, of course, if you would like to uh, purchase some of the things that we've made available for sale as a means of supporting us, you can visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Bake Sale link, you can purchase a... uh, a bottle of our Four Blood Moons Fiery Shmita Sauce, which makes a great stuff uh, stocking stuffer. You can buy our Pirate Christian Radio Christmas ornament, as well as our T-shirts and other things. So again, thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, we have an extended, and I mean this like a three-part, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update... <laughs> And so, because of that, we've got to do this. Please understand that the warning from hour number one still applies here, uh, you know, from earlier in hour one, still applies to the second half of the first hour. Here we go. Down, Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row
4: Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of
0: coconuts
4: Every ball you throw will make me rich There
0: stands me wife, the idol of me life Singing roll a ball, a penny a pitch Singing roll a ball, a
4: penny a pitch Roll bowl a ball, roll bowl a ball, sing and roll a
0: bowl a ball, a penny a pinch. All right, so I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. We're going to be listening to Kevin Basconi of the um, Patricia King King. And uh, this, is a, this is a video, you can find this over at xbmedia.com. And it's entitled Rainbows and Lightnings. Uh, yeah, Rainbows and Lightnings. And I just don't know how to explain what it is that you're about to hear. This is apparently from some kind of seer anointing educational conference, you know, and learning how to operate in signs and wonders in the prophetic. And well, you know, I, um, (laughs) yeah, it, this is some of the more bizarre stuff that I've ever heard. Now, as we're going to listen in, they're finishing up praise and worship and no joke, their praise and worship leader on the guitar is wearing 3D glasses, not in the movie theater. And so I just going, "What is going on?" But let's listen in as uh, we hear this teaching on rainbows and lightnings. Here we go. It's a
3: trip, isn't it? Yeah, these are 3D glasses, so we're seeing you all in all four dimensions. Beautiful in 3D. Uh, I want to welcome you to the uh, Raleigh Durham School of Seers, and I'm glad
0: you're here. Raleigh Durham School of Sears. Oh, man. Yeah, I think it's just south of the Piggly Wiggly out there on Highway 35.
3: Advanced level stuff. Everybody good this morning?
0: Advanced level. (laughs) Oh, man. Sorry.
3: I got to tell you something, man. I had such a powerful encounter with the kingdom of God last night. I am so full. How full? You want to know how full I am?
0: How full are you?
3: I'm like a tick on a boar hog this morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get some legitimate Bible teaching from this guy today. (laughs) Not. Oh, man.
3: I'm about to burst. And uh, last night I had a very unusual experience. And the glory of God just blasted me. In fact... I don't know exactly what time it was, but it was so amazing. I was in my prayer room here on the grounds of the new worship center and lightning struck. And although I was asleep, there was a blinding flash of light in the prayer room. And when that happened, I heard this instantaneous crack of thunder. And it seemed like the heavens opened and the rain just began to pour down. Anybody experience that last night? And when that lightning struck, there was this release of power, and the kingdom, and the glory,
0: and, I... and the glory. Yeah, if... <laughs> yeah. If somebody's pronouncing glory, glory. Yeah. Generally, we've got a problem here. So you, uh, you were like a tick on a boar hog, just filled with the spirit and the manifestations of the spirit, so called. And uh, you were ready to pop, got that part. And then the during that night, they had a lightning storm, which they're prone to have there in the South. And you thought that there that released a, a manifestation of the glory. And, uh, yeah, I don't think so. None of this makes any sense to me at all biblically. Back in the
3: spirit to the song we were singing with Susan yesterday, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, and I experienced it, saints. The kingdom. And you did
0: really, and really, what did it feel like?
3: Power and the glory came, and I began to go into a series of visions. And while this was happening, I
0: really series of visions
3: saw a rainbow, a beautiful rainbow, huge, beautiful rainbow. And I realized it was the rainbow I had seen when I had picked up Doctor Baloney at RDU, Raleigh Durham International Airport. Uh, Doctor Baloney?
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. And
3: I commented on it, and I said, look at that beautiful rainbow. And when I said that, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to speak to the people attending this conference through the weather.
0: And, yeah, like, uh, sheep being led to the slaughter, they think they're being fed something really great here, when in fact it's poison.
3: So as this was going on last night, the Lord gave me a scripture for you all. This is not the message. This is something else. It's just kind of a bit of a prophetic thingy, whatever that is. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so what we're hearing here is a prophetic thingy, and he doesn't, he doesn't even know what it is. huh.
3: <laughs> I'm so full. I hope that you can get some of the overflow. I hope that you can just lean in this morning.
0: Yeah, lean into the overflow. And uh, which biblical text teaches us about the overflow and leaning into it and all that? Nowhere in Scripture is this taught. This guy is not talking about anything revealed in the Bible about manifestations of the Spirit and the glory and things like that. This guy is being basically talking nonsense from his own sensual flesh and you know being driven along by so-called dreams and visions he thinks are coming from god there's no reason to believe any of this is from god
3: i shared with you yesterday i was going to do a hermeneutical teaching with a cheese sandwich
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah this guy's totally on the on the level man He was going to give a hermeneutical teaching from a cheese
4: sandwich. What
3: is this? But in the glory last night, the Lord changed my direction. How many of you know that the Lord can change your direction in the glory? Hallelujah. And uh, the prophetic word for you, for those of you attending this, even those of you watching on the webpage, has to do with the weather. And it comes from Isaiah 55. I'm not going to start with, ho!
0: Uh Uh-oh, he's having a Heidi Baker moment. Shaba. Is anyone thirsty?
3: But I said it. Uh, Ho. Just say that. Ho. Ho,
0: ho, ho. Uh, Ho, ho, ho. Is this the Santa Claus anointing? What is that? Getting hot
3: up here already. Verse 8, Isaiah 55. God speaking says... My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord.
0: Yeah, the number one out-of-context proof text used to basically justify the unjustifiable and get rid of any kind of lucid biblical teaching and and replace it with nonsensical, irrational so-called experiences of the Spirit. But um, this ain't the Holy Spirit. I don't know what this is, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. That's the one thing I know for sure. All right, moving along, we're still under the umbrella of Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. And uh, one of the ringleaders of the syndicate is uh, Barbie Breathitt. Now, have you ever wondered, you know, how is it that the uh, folks that you know, like Barbie Breathitt and Patricia King, how do they, well, distinguish themselves from psychics? Because, quite frankly, if you know anything about psychic experience or so-called psychic experience and so-called psychic healing and things like that, there, well, doesn't appear to be much of a difference between the quackiness of the psychic movement and the so-called signs and wonders movement that, uh, well, Barbie Breathitt is a part of. And so, you know, this is a question that comes up quite frequently in their circles, at least from critics. And so here's Barbie Breathitt in an interview with the Revival Fires uh, YouTube channel to discuss the difference between the psychic and the spirit. Here we go.
3: How do you know the difference between the psychic and the spiritual?
0: Very good.
3: And Most people, they start hearing colors, numbers, and straight away we get into this.
0: Hearing colors. Mm -hmm. What is it like to hear a color? (laughs) What is this? Yeah, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. I mean, it's a sentence that has, you know, a noun and a subject and verbs and things like that. But it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so how many of you out there have heard a color? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you've heard the, the word blue or green, you you've actually heard green, you know. You've heard blue, you've heard fuchsia, you know, right, yeah. Well, oh, this
3: is psychic, this is new agey, or is what they do, they go into all of that and it's like, No, I don't wanna to touch that and you start talking about imagination, it's just like, Oh no, here we are. Yeah, but Maybe to help people make that transition, Barbie, of just knowing the difference between the psychic and the spiritual.
6: That's a very good question, because if we go back to the Bible at the very beginning in Genesis, God planted two trees there. One.
0: Yeah, there were two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, right, yeah.
6: It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other one was the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented the soul realm, manpower, manipulation, control, which...
0: It did? Where are you getting that interpretation for the understanding of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Where are you getting that from? There ain't no biblical text that says that. you just making stuff up?
6: All those type of things are within that tree, and that is where the psychic realm... The occultic realm, your fortune tellers, your tarot card readers, all of those operate out of this dark realm of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God forbid us to partake of way back because it brings us out of spirit realm, which is a much higher realm of revelation. And it,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. You can't operate in that that realm because it takes us out of spirit realm. Right, right. Does, where did you get this from again? Isn't it weird that all these people claiming to have these manifestations of the Spirit, that they are teaching doctrines that are n- not only not taught in the Scripture, I mean, they're just making stuff up. I mean, there's biblical texts that contradict nonsense like this.
6: Drops us down into a natural realm, which is soulish. And so, it, therefore, it's evil, it's wicked in that. But they can only receive a low-level revelation. They operate-
0: Yeah, psychics can only receive a low-level revelation. Revelation, right, yeah. That would mean they're still receiving a revelation, though.
6: Out of a kingdom of darkness and a network of demonic powers. So they have uh, demons that lie, demons that peep, demons that mutter, demons that release uh, infirmity, sickness, disease. Yes. And even if they attempt to say that they're a healer, they're not a healer. What they do is they take a lower level demonic sickness or infirmity and extract it. But the only way they can do that is by injecting a higher, stronger sickness, disease, or demon.
0: Uh-huh. So the only way they can heal a sickness is by injecting a stronger sickness, demon theme. Right. Yeah. Wow. Did she get this from a sci-fi novel? Where did she get this stuff?
6: And that demon will lay dormant for a period so that person moves into deception thinking they were healed. But what they did was they lost a migraine headache but they received brain cancer.
0: Oh, yeah. See, yeah. So if you go to get healing from a psychic, they can heal your migraine and then give you cancer. Because, you know, that's right there in the book of Genesis regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. I mean... Uh, Didn't you see it there before? I mean, <laughs> what? why would anyone think this woman is actually telling us anything that's true? This is nonsense. The the
6: shifters that move in that realm are not moving in healing. They're moving in massive deception because that realm is very legalistic. And the demons vie for position.
0: Yeah, the shifters, you know, because the demon realm is really legalistic. Yeah,
6: Very competitive. And they will not move unless a higher, more wicked spirit comes in. So when people go to fortune tellers, tarot card readers palm readers any of that dealing in the occult realm they're setting themselves up for a curse and not a bl-
0: right yeah because the shifters thingies right Sing, and so that
6: realm is a lower realm and it's of darkness even though they say they can see lights it's always in a gray scale compared to what a spirit-filled believer sees
0: right so psychics can only see in gray scale not in color Yeah, which means that basically psychics and uh, people like Barbie Breathhead are seeing the same thing. It's just that Barbie can see it in color and psychics can only see it in, in black and white. Where is she getting this stuff from? Okay, yeah, that's quite fascinating, but none of this is actually biblical. None of this is taught in scripture, nor is it an implication or even a right teaching regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, uh, all these people who claim that these people can operate in true manifestations of the Spirit, my question is, why should I believe that Barbie Breathitt is operating in true manifestations of the Spirit when she's making theology up that is not only not taught in Scripture? I mean, the implications of it are contrary to Scripture. Hmm, something to consider there. All right, in the same vein of, as the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, the queen of the uh, order her, uh, itself is uh, Patricia King. Yeah, it's kind of the irony there. Patricia King is the queen uh, of the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. And we're going to be listening to a portion of her Burning Ones teaching that was recently posted over at XP Media. See if you can make heads or tails of this handling of scripture. Here we go.
5: like you to turn to Luke um, chapter 2. I'm just going to read one verse of scripture right now. And I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. In the uh, King James Version and and in the New King James Version, it uses a certain term that I want to highlight. But um, it says, and Jesus said to them, 'Why why, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's
0: All right, so the uh, text in question from Patricia King here, who also claims to be one of these people who receives direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit. She gets drunk on the Spirit regularly, uh, uh, like Heidi Baker, and gets those whoa revelations, you know, the Pillsbury Doughboy manifestation of the Spirit. And uh, what we're going to be looking at here is from the Gospel of Luke, and um, this is the story of, well, Jesus' parents kind of losing Jesus. Um, yeah, here, here's the story, and uh, here's what it says. Luke chapter 24, I'll start at verse 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, as they are required to, by the way, according to the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly in our stead, and his parents were faithful to observe Uh, all of the feasts of the Mosaic Covenant, which they were required to do, and Jesus you know, also then is able to observe them as well. Here's what it says, And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know know it, but uh, supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress.' And he said to them, "'Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house?' And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So you're going to notice here that in the ESV, we have this reading. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Whereas there is an alternate reading, and this is kind of fascinating, this gets into textual criticism, which is an important science for all good exegetes to understand, is that some of the older manuscripts do not have the reading, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Some of them, you can find this in the Textus Receptus as well, um, they, they, they have the fuller reading, or you know that I must be about my father's business. But see, this is, a questionable, this is a questionable reading. Our oldest manuscripts do not have the reading about my father's business. Um, so we've got a problem here, and that is, is that she's basically going to be basing what it is that she's teaching on, uh, well, a challenged and a highly challenged textual variant – And she's going to make a whole lot to do about the word business, but watch what she does with it. That's kind of the more fascinating thing, but I wanted you to know this, but this text is not about us. She's going to Narcigida to make it about us, which she should not be doing because she shouldn't be preaching anyway, but we continue.
5: In other versions, you know, it says my father's house or whatever. And one day I was in prayer years ago and, and, um, you know, I was just meditating on the scriptures, and uh, the uh, Lord had me read. You know, the, in in Luke two, and I was captured by the word "business." The Holy Spirit said, "Notice that it says there that Jesus was about His Father's business, not about His Father's ministry." And it was uh,
0: yeah. Again, God the Holy Spirit would actually understand how variants work, and why would God the Holy Spirit have you key in on the word "business"? Because here's the deal is that Jesus hasn't set up a shop in Jerusalem to do his father's business. Yeah, we've got a problem here.
5: He just caught my attention. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will catch your attention just with one word in a sermon or one word in an email or something like that. And this was one word in my scripture um, reading. And he says, I want to show you something. He says, I want, I want to do something with business people in this hour. And before we, we I, finish. I, I want
0: the Holy Spirit's telling you I want to do something with business people in this hour. Jesus wasn't in the marketplace. He was in the temple. What are you talking about?
5: session today we're going to release a commissioning a kingdom commissioning on those of you who are feeling called into business or who are in business about
0: oh i see because one of the textual variants on uh, that passage in luke contains the word business you're going to release some kind of business anointing really god the holy spirit told you to do this i don't think so patricia
5: point and um, so the Holy Spirit started to show me different characters within the scripture. Like he started with Abraham. And he said, my, my son Abraham, who is the father of faith, was not like a pastor of a church. He was actually a businessman called to leave the land of the Chaldeans with an established agricultural business. And he left there. He left his family and left to follow God. And God increased him and multiplied him. And all throughout Abraham's life, you'll see an increase of commodities such as sheep and goats and gold and silver and and even armies and servants. And I mean, he just kept...
0: Are these people getting a sound understanding of what the scriptures reveal regarding either Jesus or Abraham? Nope.
5: Growing and growing. And
0: she's claiming that this is all via a revelation she received from the Holy Spirit himself directly, you know
5: growing in his influence. In fact, he he became so well known in the land because of the blessing of the Lord upon him that even nations around him respected and honored and feared him. And uh, because of his relationship with God, and it was evident through the blessing on business that he was in covenant with God. And so the Lord highlighted this to me and then other Bible characters and and he started speaking to me about, and this was before the Seven Mountain Teaching was was um, being cultivated, and and uh, and I'm so thrilled with that teaching because it's, it's
0: I'm sure you are. It's blasphemous, that's for sure
5: spread worldwide and and it's just been amazing all the different people that god has chosen worldwide to birth that message they've done such an amazing job to make us aware of what father is inviting us to 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 really go as kingdom people with the gospel of the kingdom and influencing different realms in society you know it's just it's just awesome you know it's what we're made for because it's our father's world
0: yeah no actually the We're not made for that. And the Seven Mountains mandate is not from God the Holy Spirit. It is clearly from the pit of hell. But you get the idea here. So I'll just ask the question again. You know, it's kind of our think piece question for the day is why should I believe that God the Holy Spirit revealed to Patricia King that she's going to be able to release some business blessing anointing thingy? Uh, because she uh, apparently God the Spirit spoke to her and said, notice here in Luke that uh, Jesus was not about his father's ministry, but about his business. So we we need to have a bit, you know, we have to have a business focus. And yet it's based upon a textual variant that does not appear in the earliest manuscripts that we have of the New Testament. Yeah. Is she hearing from God, the Holy Spirit? Not on your life. There's no reason, in fact, every reason to believe she's not hearing from God the Holy Spirit. She has nothing to do with true manifestations of God the Holy Spirit, and you don't have to be a cessationist to see it. You just need to know what your Bible actually says. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back a priscilla schreier sermon preached at church by the glades stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back
3: no itching ears are scratched here you're listening to fighting for the faith
0: pirate christian radio theater presents death of a salesman are ye a salesman Why yes, I am. Can I interest you in some?
4: (laughs) You're listening to Byron Christian Radio.
3: On January 2nd, college students and young adults are invited to Concordia University, Chicago for an evening drinking from the fire hose of the gospel. This Higher Things Lutheran Unconference starts and ends with worship. In between, seven incredible Lutheran pastors will speak for just 20 minutes each. Dinner will be provided with a Q&A session. Registration is just $100 per person. For more information, go to higherthings.org.
0: Number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. So you think Priscilla Schreier is a sound exegete. She's not. Not at all. She's as sound as Patricia King. She's as sound as Stephen Furtick. The difference is Priscilla Schreier has great public speaking skills. She has no skill at handling God's Word, though. Let's do this right. the bad the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via church by the glades out there in south florida name of the sermon is entitled the multitude delivered by guest speaker priscilla schreier of the war room fame yeah the problem here uh, is well, there well there's multiple problems One, she doesn't rightly handle God's word. Two, she's preaching a sermon on a Sunday morning, which God's word forbids her from doing. So there's all kinds of rebellion going on here, but oh, she really knows how to engage a crowd. She knows how to make them feel ooly-woogly inside and all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, is that anybody who knows their Bible should be asking themselves this question, why am I listening to this woman preaching a sermon When God's Word forbids this, and what is she doing to that biblical text? It doesn't matter how likable she is or how good her delivery is or how entertaining and engaging she is. What should matter is what God's Word says and reveals. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Priscilla Schreier and her sermon from Church by the Glades entitled, The Multitude.
7: Well, hi, y'all. I hope that you are well. We certainly are delighted to have an opportunity to be with you this Sunday. We love coming home to this church. That's how we feel like it's our Florida family. And we're so grateful to you guys for allowing us to be a part of your Sunday service. My husband and I, my boys, we are thrilled to be here and serve. My whole family is serving, and it is our privilege to serve you. Uh, This weekend in the Lord, I believe in the power of the word of God. Do you believe in the power of God's word? I know you do. And so it is a thrill to share it with a group of people that I know appreciate the fact that it is not just some random book, that the Bible is God's own word. It is spirit and life to us. And we ought to expect to hear God speaking personally to us.
0: Yeah, it is God's word. It is spirit in life. Why are you disobeying what that word says by preaching a sermon?
7: But I want to tell you before I pray for our message today, I've said this at the previous two services, and I will say it at every service because to me it is so important that you all realize the gift that you have when the Lord gives you leadership at your church that has integrity. That is, are the same people when nobody's looking as they are when the spotlight is on them. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age when that's a rare thing. When, when your leaders and your pastors are like for real, like they really love Jesus and they really love you. And the fact that you have that at this church is something that you ought to celebrate. It's something you ought to celebrate. We are grateful to the Hughes for being our friends and allowing us to partner with them in ministry y'all let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this privilege that we have to be in your presence under your word. Lord, we did not come to see each other. We came to see you. So what we're asking is that in these few moments, you will do what only you can. Would you take this one little message, Lord, these few little thoughts, would you divide them several thousand different ways so that everybody under the sound of my voice, whether they are in this room or on the other side of that screen, Lord, would you help them to all hear a fresh word from your mouth? Because that's why. We
0: fresh word. Apparently a uh, written word. Yeah, that, that ain't fresh. We need a fresh word. What does that mean?
7: A fresh word from your mouth. Because that's why we came. In Jesus name. Everybody agreed with me and said. Amen. We, we do have three boys, as Pastor David mentioned. Um, uh, Jackson did just turn 13. I've been thinking about Jackson in particular because he just turned 13. Um, I've been uh, kind of backtracking through his life, just a little nostalgia, thinking about how far he's come, how much he has grown. You should know.
0: Yet notice we're starting with a personal story. And here's the idea, is, is that if you're going to use a personal story as a sermon illustration, the purpose of a sermon illustration is to basically help you better understand a biblical text that you're exegeting. So the the Bible has to be the thing that leads off. And if it's not, then what happens is, is that the illustration then begins to govern how you understand the biblical text, rather than the biblical text being, if you would, uh, you know, illumined by the illustration. So she's doing everything backwards. When you have somebody start off with a personal illustration, it may be, uh, it may be that they're engaging in Bible twisting and monkey business, and that's exactly what Priscilla Schreier is engaging in. Is is she's in ga- engaging in Bible twisting because she's not actually exegeting a text yet? She's going to start off with an illustration, a personal experience, an anecdote, which will then be the governing principle for understanding the text that she's going to Narsajit. Not This is not how you arrive at a proper understanding of what God's word says.
7: So the trademark of all of my boys is that they have grown. My 12-year-old, well, he just turned 13 two days ago. He wears a size 13 men's shoe. Somebody come help me feed these people. And I got three of them, three big boys. Jerry Jr. is 11. And then Jude, he's seven years old. Jude is our surprise baby. We still look at him and don't know exactly how he got here. And we named him Jude on purpose because that is as close as I could get to Revelation. Because it is finished. It's over. That's the end. So these three boys, I'm very nostalgic about their lives, and I write down things that happens in their life. I bought each of them this little journal from Marshalls. I think I picked them up for three bucks a piece. It's a journal I have been keeping um, for their lives, basically. And every year, once or twice a year, when something, you know, they, they say something interesting or funny, or they're learning something, or I can see God doing something in their life, or they do something that's just hysterical and needs to be remembered, I record it. So I've had Jackson's book in my hand recently because for his 13th, I wrote a note to him for his 13th. And I'll give it to him later in their lives at some point when they will care that I have been writing and keeping notes about their life. And um, I I was just scaling back and looking through the notes on Jackson. And one of the, the notes I wrote to him was about his fifth birthday. Because when he was five, that's when he started to lose his baby teeth, y'all need to know he had been waiting on them baby teeth to come out. He'd been sitting on pins and needles about the whole thing because we had told him that when you start to lose your teeth, what will happen is you get to tuck that thing under a pillow at night. And when you go to sleep, the tooth fairy is going to come. She's going to exchange that, um, that uh, tooth for a treasure. And he could not wait. You need to know about my oldest boy. He doesn't really care for going to sleep at night. Never has. I don't know if he ever will. He needs very little amount of sleep to function. So he's never been excited about going to bed. Well, that night when he lost that first tooth, I have never seen him so thrilled to go to bed in all of his life. He eagerly ran up the stairs that night. He lay down in bed, tucked that pillow underneath. Was so excited he could barely go to sleep. Every few seconds, he was looking underneath the pillow to see if anything had happened. In those few seconds that he had closed his eyes, he finally fell off to sleep and was asleep for several hours before about two or three in the morning. When the six foot three, two hundred and fifty pound tooth fairy that I sleep next to every night got up from the bed, went upstairs, and exchanged the tooth under Jackson's pillow for a treasure. I knew when Jackson woke up that morning. I knew it because there was chaos upstairs. I just heard little squeals of delight and stomping feet as he and his little teeny brother at the time, Jerry Jr., was only about three years old or so, they discovered and were so excited about the treasure underneath the pillow. Jackson came bounding down the stairs into our bedroom, ran in with two fists clenched closed. He ran up to me and said, Mom, Dad, the tooth fairy came, I got a treasure. I leaned over very eager to see what it was. In one hand, he opened up. There was a package of gummy bears, which he was thrilled about because that was his favorite snack at the time, thrilled. Then he opened up the other hand, and there was $5. I believe in dimes and quarters. Anybody know where I'm coming from? That's what I got when I was growing up. Anybody know? So I'm just baffled, completely confused how my five-year-old got $5 for a tooth. So I celebrated with him, but he soon left the room and and my husband and I were left together. And my husband saw the look on my face. And you know, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. He said, Priscilla, listen, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He said, do you remember that last month, that would have been November at the time, This same time of year. He said, do you remember that last month was Jackson's fifth birthday? And for his fifth birthday, we had a bunch of family members over. And all those family members, they brought cards with them. And in most of those cards, there were $5 bills. He said, do you remember we took all those $5 bills, we put them in a birthday drawer in the kitchen. He said, well, this morning at 3 a.m., I went right inside that birthday drawer, got out one of those $5 bills, and put it underneath that pillow. Oh, yeah, I gave him a high five and a hug. That's good financial stewardship right there is what that is.
0: Now, notice just how engaging she is. I mean, so skilled in her delivery. I mean, she has this audience literally eating out of her hand. The problem is scripture forbids her to do what she's doing right now. And and she ain't going to be rightly handling God's word in any sense of the word. So all of these people are literally laughing themselves silly, feeling like, oh, this is the best sermon ever. And yet, if they knew their Bible, they would be saying, this woman should not be talking to us in this context. This is sinful. This is in rebellion to God's word. Nothing good can be coming of this. Doesn't matter how entertaining she is, does it?
7: And so I was so tickled and intrigued to watch my then five-year-old boy jump up and down celebrating treasure that really was already his. Treasure that had been his all along, he was just now becoming aware of it. And it occurs to me that in a group this size, there are so many of us that will spend many of the days and weeks and months of our Christian life living as if we have no treasure. When we've had it all along, when it was given to us as a part of our birthright as daughters and sons of Christ Jesus, but we go through.
0: Daughters and sons of Christ Jesus. This sounds a lot like uh, Jennifer Ivaz's theology. It's just that uh, Priscilla Schreier, she's got way better delivery skills.
7: Through so much of our experience, never opening the drawer and untucking and unearthing and and mining out all of the abundance that has been given to us that is rightfully ours since we've been adopted into the family of God.
0: Right. yeah, Yeah. Well, yeah. The word of faith nonsense coming next, I'm sure
7: y'all but i don't want to get to the end of my life only to realize there was treasure back there in my 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s that i never used because i wasn't aware that it was there for me all along i want my stuff right now anybody
0: (laughs) i want my stuff right now boy if you ever hear somebody talking like that from behind the pulpit run Run, you're dealing with a wolf at this point.
7: I think that this was at least in part what the Lord Jesus had in mind. When he allowed a particular scenario to to unfold in the life of his disciples.
0: Really, you think that this is what God had in mind, this idea of treasure they already owned kind of thing. Like I said, the illustration is now going to govern the biblical text, whatever it is that she's going to go to, which means she's going to be twisting God's word to make it conform to this theology that she's already put forward. The theology she gave us doesn't come from God's word. It comes from her heart, her mind, her ideas. She's now going to force scripture to fit what she just said.
7: It's a story that is very familiar to you. But I'm going to read it to you anyway, because I think the Lord is going to allow us to see it in a different way, from a different perspective this morning. It's in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 12 or so. It reads like this. The day began to decline and the 12, the disciples, those who walked most closely with him. The 12 came to him and said to him, please send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countrysides and find lodging and get something to eat. Because here, we're in a desolate place. We have no treasure. Verse 13, he said to them about this mass of hungry people. He said to them, you give them something to eat. But they said, wait a minute, Jesus, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy more food for all these people. 14 tells us the scenario. There were 5,000 men. The author has gone out of his way to make sure you know it was 5,000 men. Scholars say likely that means there were 15,000 people because that didn't include women and children. So the feeding of the 15,000, really. And so.
0: Now you'll notice in her reading, she added the word treasure. Uh huh. Her illustration is governing this text, she's forcing this text to fit with her illustration.
7: He said to the disciples in verse 14, have them recline to eat in groups of 50. And they did so, had them all recline. And verse 16 says that he took that little five loaves and two fish. That which the disciples didn't know was treasure. He
0: took the five loaves and two fish. The five loaves and two fish are treasure? What are you talking about, Priscilla?
7: Fish And looking up to heaven, Jesus blessed it. And then he broke it. And then he kept giving it to the disciples to set before the multitude. And look at verse 17. It says, they all ate, all 15,000 of them, and they were satisfied. And and they were so satisfied, and there was so much abundance before them, that even after they all ate, the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up. And y'all, there was 12 baskets full of leftovers. So here's a multitude of people who were pressing in on Jesus. It says that the crowd followed Jesus wherever he went. In fact, Jesus had been trying to get away for a little rest, it tells us, right before this passage unfolds. He was just going away to a solitary place, but the disciples, I'm sorry, the multitude, they found out about it. So a crowd of people were pressing in on Jesus. You need to know that as your pastor said earlier, wherever Jesus went, a multitude followed after him because they didn't.
0: Yeah, that's not true. Where was the multitude while Jesus was suffering and bleeding and dying for their sins on the cross? All of Jesus' disciples scattered. I think John was kind of lurking and you know he actually showed up at the cross, but it was Mary and John and, and there was no multitude there wherever Jesus was. Yeah, that's not true. They
7: didn't know about this whole Messiah business. They weren't sure whether or not he had come to redeem them. They didn't know about the kingdom of God being at hand. They weren't convinced necessarily about all that yet. But what they did know was that when this Jesus showed up, blind people could see. What they knew for sure was that when this guy showed up, deaf ears could hear. And the lame were walking and the dead were being raised. What they knew for sure was that when this guy spoke, they had heard teaching and preaching before from the Sadducees and Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. But when Jesus spoke, they had never heard anything like that. There was an authority dripping from all of his words that caused them to just have an awe about every word that he said. They knew there was something different about this man. And so wherever Jesus was, a crowd came. And the multitude was pressing in on him. Most of the time when we consider this story, which most of you probably have heard this story before about a hungry multitude of people. And most of the time when we consider this story, we think about the multitude. We think about the five loaves and the two fish and how those uh, little things were actually um, a gift and a miracle waiting to happen for the multitude. We consider the multitude, the masses. I want you with me for this morning. To consider those which most closely represent you and I, though. You and I are not represented by the multitude. We, we we're the disciples. We're the ones that come to church on Sunday. We're the ones that hear and study and revere the word of God. We're the ones that say we walk with him and talk with him and are supposed to be in relationship with him. And for the 12 of that day, Jesus brought those in his inner circle. He brought them close and he said, you know what? This little demonstration isn't just for the multitude. It's for you. I want to call the 12 I want to call the church by the glades to another level. And this is the way he does it. He says, I'm going to put you in a scenario where you have to realize the treasure you've got available to you.
0: And now we're into full-blown narcissistic eisegesis. Really? So the whole idea is, is that this was because we're the closest to the disciples, which is true. But the thing is, we're getting discipled the same way the disciples were. The disciples lived it. We read about it. The same applies to us. And the whole point of all of this, by the way, is not that we learn how to recognize the treasure in front of us, because Scripture interprets Scripture. And this Scripture, by the way, has a counterpart in the Gospel of John. And we we learn from the Gospel of John what the punchline is. Okay, and, and let me explain. Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 12. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And they're referring to uh, what uh, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Starting at verse 15, it says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Jesus' performing of this miracle reveals that he's the promised Messiah, because that's who the prophet was that Moses was prophesying in Deuteronomy 18. And it's all about who Jesus is. And it says that they, and Jesus perceived that they were about to make him Uh, Come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, this miracle, because children of Israel, they were fed by the Lord in the wilderness, manna from heaven. Uh, A food miracle of this type had not been seen since the children of Israel had been in their wilderness wanderings. And they happened to have been in a wilderness when Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes, which was a sign to them that he was the Messiah that's what's going on in this text so priscilla in true narcissistic eisegetical style is taking all the glory away from christ and who he is and what he's done and now it's all about some principle of you needing to pay attention to whatever treasure that you already possess so that you can um i don't know what uh take care of the multitudes in your life yeah that's where she's heading Here we we, we continue.
7: Because I don't want you to just have it and tuck it away in a drawer. I want you to have to open that thing up and unearth everything that I want to give you an opportunity to experience in your life. So he sends a multitude. And the multitude presses in on them. And the very first verse of the passage that we read in verse 12, it tells us that the multitude was pressing in on them. Their hunger arising, their needs escalating just as the day was declining. Now, I don't know about how you feel at the end of a long day, but I sure do know how I feel. There is a depletion of energy. Can somebody say amen? There is a lack. There is a decline. And as the day decline in this scenario before the 12 disciples, the needs are arising. They are escalating. As we sit in a room this size, I know that there are very, very many of you that are in this exact same scenario in some area of your
0: life. No, I'm not. And no, nobody else is either. You're now allegorizing. And this is a terrible way. To handle God's word because you're twisting it and twisting it away from Christ and what He has done for us and allegorizing the multitude to somehow reflect what? Well, let's listen some more.
7: Because it might not be a multitude of people that are pressing in on you, just a multitude of problems.
0: Eh, yep. Bible twisting, narcissistic, extraordinaire. Yeah, this is what happens, by the way, folks. Women are forbidden by God's word to preach a sermon. To a congregation, they are forbidden. So when one gets up and preaches a sermon contrary to God's word, she's already in rebellion to God's word, and the congregation that puts up with this kind of nonsense and rebellion against God's word, they've opened themselves up to be deceived, and that's what Priscilla Schreier is doing.
7: That as you consider what you have to face Monday on your job, or Tuesday in your family, or in this season of your finances, or even in your physical body, maybe...
0: This season of my finances is the same as the multitude. ah, This is nonsense.
7: Maybe the pains are escalating, but you feel like your patience is declining. Maybe the difficulties in your job are escalating while your your patience is declining. Maybe your needs in your career are, are escalating,
0: but your money is declining and you feel like this tax has nothing to do with my finances or anything I'm facing in my life right now in that sense.
7: Like you are declining in all of the areas where you feel like you need that capacity in order to sustain that particular need. The disciples know exactly how it feels to be in a declining situation when the needs are escalating.
0: What on earth? That's not what this text is about.
7: To have those, those things completely out of balance on the scales of your life. And so here are the disciples and they demonstrate for us exactly what most disciples explanation is and solution is when they're in that type of scenario. It says that the disciples in verse 12 said to Jesus, send the multitude away.
0: Yeah, which means we're going to say, Jesus, send my problems away. Oh, this is un- so basically this miracle that Jesus actually performed that truly revealed that he was the Messiah, the one, the prophet prophesied by Moses. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. No, no, no. Let's shove that aside. And we've allegorized this. And now it, you're, you're we're gleaning biblical principles from basically an Aesop's fable um, treatment of this historical narrative that points to Christ. Oh, wow.
7: Now, if that ain't us, I don't know what is. Whenever we have problems that are pressing in on us on every side, whether in our finances or our personal life or in our parenting or in our marriage or on our
0: job, when the multitude begins to... Yeah, this text has nothing to do with my parenting or personal life or finances or anything like that.
7: To escalate and press in on us, our solution is very much like the disciples, isn't it? Send that problem away. Because there's probably someone else or something else that has what I don't have to handle this scenario. I don't want to deal with it, so send it away. Embedded within this solution, though, is a problem. Because the disciples sending the multitude away to the villages nearby assumes that the village has something that the disciples don't.
0: Yeah, you know, like farmers and people who sell things in the local markets, To feed people. How do you think the people got fed back in the day, huh?
7: It assumes that that they're making the assumption that the town must have something that the disciples do not.
0: Yeah, back in the day, those are called agoras. Yeah, the agora is a place you would you know, they didn't have malls or strip malls or grocery stores. You go to the agora. And, oh, man, this is awful.
7: But listen... The multitude may have gone to the villages to get fed and maybe their bellies would have been fed because of the supply that in food that the town had. But what the town had, the, dis, the disciples, uh, what, the, what the town didn't have is what the disciples did. They had a miracle waiting to happen.
0: Uh, no, a miracle is abstract. You know what the crowd had? They had the Son of God incarnate right there. The same God who fed the children of Israel in their wilderness wanderings was there in the flesh teaching them on that day. That's what they had. Not a miracle. Waiting to happen. So notice here. Now here. So here's the pattern. So what's the thing in your life? Is it your finances? Is it your marriages? You know, are things going terrible for you at work? What's the multitude in your life that you are facing that you're asking God to send away? Well, see, if you would just learn this biblical principle, you can find out the treasure that you already have so that whammo, blammo, you can have the miracle that's waiting to happen through the treasure that you already have in your life, which makes no sense whatsoever that's not what this text is teaching so the application is going to be quite absurd when you hear it we continue
7: the multitude y'all they didn't just need food they needed to see what it was like when jesus performed a miracle before their eyes
0: uh, no they jesus had performed many miracles and that's one of the reasons why that crowd was following him just read the chapters ahead of this good night
7: A relationship with Jesus is what the master was after. So if the problem went away to a town, yes, their bellies would have been fed, but they would not have had the eye-opening encounter with this man who was indeed their Savior.
0: Right, that's true. But why are you allegorizing it then as if somehow somebody's going to have an eye-opening encounter with their Savior because I didn't pray to have my financial stress sent away? What on earth is this?
7: Do you realize that the multitude that the Lord has allowed to press in around you or press in around me in this particular season of our life, if the Lord has allowed it, it is because there is something that only you can bring to that scenario.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, what was the thing that only the disciples could bring to this scenario? Oh, this is just absurd.
7: There is an encounter with God that is waiting to happen for those people.
0: Yeah, this text isn't promising that. You're filling these people's head with other nonsense. And in that scenario that only you can provide. And if you send it The away- disciples didn't provide anything. Jesus did
7: yes it may get satisfied over there but what it won't have is the touch that only your god has anointed you to bring to that situation
0: oh man narcissism and delusions of grandeur to boot what a miserable twisting and narcissistic mangling of god's holy and precious word
7: it is the enemy it's the enemy that always wants us to think we don't have what it takes to handle the scenario that we're in but if you're currently in it
0: uh, now it's the devil's fault for oh, man. Ah!
7: that also implies that your god has currently given you everything you need to satisfy that situation
0: so god's given me everything i need to satisfy that situation Oh, wow.
7: Even if it only looks like five loaves and two fish.
0: Yeah, now the five loaves and two fish are allegorically pointing to something you already have in your life that you can, can you have the resource to turn into a miracle to, you know, feed the multitude of whatever the.
7: You can see it. (laughs) She believes it. She believes it. She believes it. You can see it as bread and sardines. Or you can see it as a miracle waiting to happen.
0: Yeah, so what's the miracle waiting to happen that you're sitting on that you're probably despising right now in your life? Oh,
7: brother. You can see it as five loaves and two little fish, a snack. Or you can see it as an opportunity for God to take a treasure he has put in you and do something eternally miraculous through you. So the skill that you do have, the talent that you do have, the money that you do have, the time that you do have.
0: Yeah, um, the, the, the five loaves and two fishes do not allegorically represent something I currently have in my life.
7: The patience that you do have, whatever it is you currently have is enough for the multitude that is pressing in on you resist the urge to send it away
0: (laughs) okay yeah what does that look like yeah go ahead and tell me what the application really looks like in this
7: resist the urge to pray it away because in praying it away you are praying away that which god has given to you as an opportunity to see what he can do with your five and your two Listen.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't have 5 or 2. I don't know what you're talking about.
7: The the loaves and fish were the gift for the multitude. They were going to get fed. But the multitude was the gift to the disciples. The disciples would never have seen the treasure that they had in in their current resources. They would never have Yeah,
0: they would have never seen the 5 loaves and 2 fishes as treasure. I thought their treasure was their Messiah, Christ.
7: see that without the pressure placed on them by the multitude. So the pressure that is on you right now in the multitude of whatever it is that you're dealing with, without that multitude, you would never have reason, I would never have reason, to open up the drawer, to pull out the
4: resources
7: we've been given, and see what God can do with them when we yield them to him. Y'all, without the multitude, we would spend all of our lives not realizing the full abundance that has been given to us by our God. The pressure is what brings out
0: the beauty and the... Yeah, this sounds so pious. It sounds so Christian and religious, but it's not. It is an utter, narcissistic, nonsensical, ridiculous twisting and allegorizing of a historical narrative. The
7: abundance of all of that God has given us. And so the disciples want to send them away. But Jesus looks at the disciples and says to them the exact same thing he says to us today as we all face our multitudes. He says in verse 13, Yeah,
0: I'm not facing any multitudes. Just like I'm not facing my Red Sea moment. Just like I'm not. <laughs> it's just,
7: it's, uh uh. Uh-uh. You give them something to eat. I'm sure he said it like that. You give them something to eat. They said, oh, but Jesus, you do know we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Okay, so the disciples now have opened up the drawer. They see what they have, five loaves, two fish. That's what they have. And they automatically, when seeing it, don't consider for a moment that Jesus, who they are with, They're standing with him. He's talking to them. They're in close relationship with him. They never consider for a moment that this Jesus, the one who had raised the dead, the one who had restored blind eyes, the one who had restored deaf ears, the one who had delivered and healed. They never considered that the five and the two were all Jesus needed to do something that would blow all of their minds. Yeah,
0: Jesus didn't even need that. You remember in the Old Testament, where'd the manna come from? Straight out of heaven. It wasn't a multiplication of loaves and fishes. Jesus could have made loaves and fishes out of thin air, ex nihilo, because he is God.
7: He immediately spoke negatively over the thing that was indeed their treasure.
0: Uh, Notice, speak negatively. Word of faith heresy. You don't want to make a negative confession. She's a heretic, and I mean it.
7: So you and I, we sit in church each Sunday, we talk to him, we hear from him, we sing songs about him, we wave our hands to him, we say amen, we're in Bible study, we're connected with other believers. We are the disciples, and we are often the ones that when we open up the drawer and see our five and two, our skill, our talent.
0: Again, this isn't about my five and two and somebody else's five and two. This is about a five and two that actually took place in real history. And people then realize who Jesus was.
7: Our money, our ability, our patience, our personality, our strengths, our weaknesses. When we see our five and two, we, the disciples, are the first ones to speak negatively about that which God has given us. Instead of consider that this Jesus, who we've seen restore marriages and heal people and cause addiction chains to fall off of people. We never consider that this might be all that our God needs to pull off something eternally miraculous in our lives
0: again utterly nonsensical this is not some pattern to be repeated in our lives
7: so i want to tell somebody in the house today when you're with jesus all you need is just a little bit
0: if yeah no um when i'm with jesus all i need is jesus that's in fact jesus is all we need Jesus doesn't need anything. He's Jesus. He's God.
7: Five and two is all you got. Five and two is all you need. But you better resist the urge to speak negatively and imp a spirit of impossibility over that resource that you
0: do. Yeah, that's right. Because if you speak, you know, negative words, you know, your words cre- create reality. So, no, they don't. But that's what the word of faith heretics teach, like Priscilla Schreier.
7: You have. That's not just a little skill that you have. That is skill when yielded to Jesus becomes a gift to the body of Christ. That's just not some little mamby-pamby talent you have. That talent when yielded to Jesus, do you know what he can do when he takes five and two? He blesses it, and then he breaks it, and then he multiplies it exponentially so that it is so beyond your current ability and your natural resources that you stand back, slack-jawed, stunned at what your God has done through little old you. Oh y'all, you don't need a lot. You just need to yield what you have.
0: Yeah. Again, how how again do I do that? Um, I'd like to know what the what exactly is does is the application? Okay, let's put it into the scenario here. Okay, so the five loaves, two fishes, feeding of the multitude of, of the fifteen thousand, not five thousand, because you know we live in a politically correct world. You can't count numbers of a crowd based on men only nowadays. Uh so okay the 15,000 got it. Um so all right, so that allegorically is pointing to a circumstance in my life. So what's the multitude in my life? Okay. The multitude in my life, I'm making this up. I this isn't for real for me. Okay, I've got I got $40,000 in credit card debt. Okay, so that's the multitude. You know, $40,000 coming at me with, you know, Visa and Mastercard and Discover all wanting my head on a platter. And so I look in my bank account and all I've got is $3 and 50 cents. So I need to yield my $3 and 50 cents to Jesus so that he can multiply my money and feed the hungry multitude. (laughs) This doesn't make any sense at all. How do I yield the $3 and 50 cents in my bank account? What is this?
7: You just need to open up the drawer and say, thank you, Lord, for this five and this two.
0: So thank you, Lord, for the 350. Can you multiply it real quick? Because those guys that, you know, they're, they're going to send me to collections, you know.
7: Let's get busy using it for your glory. So I, I'm working on this in my own life as well. Instead of comparing myself to her and comparing myself to her. Oh, I can't do that, God. She can't. I can't. I'm working on just quoting God's promises Over my stuff.
0: Uh Uh-huh. In Jennifer Iva's style, quoting God's promises over your stuff, decreeing and declaring, you are a princess, you know. Uh Uh-huh. It's the same theology as Jennifer Iva's.
7: Say, Lord, if you gave me this, then that must be all I need to be a mom, to be a wife. I'm working on it with my boys. I want to speak speak, speak God's promises over their life so much so that his word is so embedded in their hearts and minds that when they have the nerve in their teenage years or in their 20s or 30s or 40s to wonder whether or not what they have is significant enough to do what God has called them to do, the words that mom and dad spoke over them will come back to their remembrance so that they will want to speak God's blessing. So
0: we're not going to teach our kids kids God's word. Nope. We're just going to rip verses out of context and create little slogans and speak them over our children like magic spells so that they can go and conquer. Uh-huh. That's what she's describing. This is the exact opposite of true discipleship. This isn't discipleship at all.
7: Promises over their five and two.
0: By the way, there are no promises for your five and two because that's the five and two has nothing to do with anything in your life. Nothing.
7: So I gather, I gather my boys up in the morning, every single morning that I have the opportunity to, and I make them stand around me. I do. And they know what's coming. They know what's coming. Because every time I say, okay, boys, come on, stand right here. Look me in my eyes. They just go.
0: Yeah, time for magic spell time where we're going to rip God's word out of context and sloganeer and decree and declare, okay? You know, kind of sorcery style.
7: And I said, oh, no, oh, no, no, you stand up straight and you listen to mom because I need you to know that you are a leader. You are not a follower. You are the head. You are not the tail.
0: (sighs) They're not being taught to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They're having their heads filled with narcissistic delusions of grandeur. All magic spell style.
7: You are above, you are not beneath.
0: I'm beginning to think that uh, Priscilla Schreier went to seminary at Hogwarts.
7: I need you to know that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You need to know that you will put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. You will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises will continually be in your mouth. You
0: need to Yeah, they're little sinners, and know they won't, and they already don't. And uh, decreeing and declaring will not bring them to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You
7: need to know that the enemy might form a weapon against you, but it will never, ever prosper. And you will know this, and you will live like it, or I will spank you.
0: And for this, she gets pretty much something that sounds akin to a standing ovation. She's got the whole crowd worked up into a fervor, and yet everything she said is totally twisted and not even close to a right handling of God's word.
7: And here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that while I'm quoting these things to my boys, they're kind of going, oh. And then half of it, they want to get through quickly. So they start saying, I I will trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean on my own. But what that tells me is that it's in there. That's what it tells me. So that later on in life, when they're looking at five and two, they'll be able to say, But wait a minute.
0: Again, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is not for us to find the five and two thing in our life.
7: Wait a minute. I know a God who can take this right here. And by the power of his own word, he can make five and two, feed a multitude that is before me. So the disciples' first solution to send the problem away didn't work. So they had another another thought as to what they might do in verse 13. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy more food. So so at first they want to send the problem away, but when that Jesus didn't fall for that, they said, okay, well, then we must just need to send ourselves away so that we can accumulate more in order to be uh, have the capacity necessary and the resources necessary to sustain this multitude. So in one, there was the fallacy that the multitudes needed what someone else had to offer.
0: Yeah, this whole attempt at rightly handling this text is a fallacy. She is completely twisting it.
7: In other, there is the equally demonic fallacy that we need more than we currently have in order to sustain the multitude. In one, the enemy deceives you into thinking that what you have uh, is not suitable for what the multitude before you needs. In the other, the enemy equally deceives you into thinking that you need to be like someone else, have what they have, do what they do, accumulate more than God has. This
0: is utter gobbledygook, total nonsense, and they're all eating this up. Why? Because, man, she can deliver a great speech. She's got amazing public speaking skills. She has no skill whatsoever in handling God's word. And worse, she's forbidden by God's word to do what she's doing right now.
7: ...has currently given you in order for you to be suitable as a mother, as a father, as a wife, as a husband, as a single woman, as a single man, as a school teacher, as a lawyer, as a physician. He wants you to think you are not currently capable, that you do not currently have enough. But if the multitude is surrounding you, just like the Lord allowed this multitude to surround the disciples, it means that what you have in your hand is the treasure that you're looking for
0: it is no it doesn't because you've totally biffed your handling of this text this text doesn't promise anything of the sort to any of us in the 21st century is what you need
7: So I thought for just a few moments, for any of you that are surrounded by a multitude of issues and you're wondering whether or not you are enough and whether or not you have enough to sustain you in the midst of it, I thought I might just remind you about what the Word of God says you have and who you are. It says that you are a child of God.
0: You- yeah, here we go. Uh, the sloganeering now and the decreeing and declaring stuff. How about you are a sinner in need of a savior? You won't hear that now, will
7: you? You are and have peace with God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have access to God's wisdom. You are helped by God. You are reconciled to God. You are not condemned by God. You are justified. You have Christ's righteousness. You are Christ's ambassador. You are completely forgiven. You are tenderly loved by God. You,
0: you, you, you. Who's she preaching about? You, 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 not Christ.
7: You are a sweet fragrance of Christ to God.
0: Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience. Apparently getting them to decide to to not pray away their multitude and figure out what their five and two is so that they can, you know, have a miracle happen thingy in their life. Right, Yeah.
7: are a temple in which God dwells. You are blameless and beyond reproach. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a branch on Christ's vine. You are joint heir with Christ. You are a member of Christ's body. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are chosen by God. You are holy and dearly loved. You are a child of light. You are born of God and the evil one cannot touch you. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a personal witness of Christ. You are God's co-worker. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are God's workmanship. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens
4: you.
0: Well, aren't you great? Yeah. Amen! No, I cannot say amen because you've twisted God's word and ripped a whole bunch of stuff out of context and woven together a complete tapestry of deceit while totally robbing Christ of all of his glory from the text that you claimed that you were preaching from, which God's word forbade you from doing what you did.
7: That is who you are, and that is what you have. If you need to write it and post it on your bathroom mirror so that you can read it every single day.
0: Yeah, post it on your bathroom mirror. You can remind yourself of just how amazing you are.
7: And bring your five and two to it to remind your five and two of the treasure that it is. That's what you do. Uh,
0: What are my five and two again? I'm a little confused about that.
7: Because when the disciples... Listen. When the disciples handed over their five and two to Jesus...
0: It wasn't even their five and two. It was a lunch that belonged to a little kid.
7: Didn't speak negatively about it. He didn't dismiss it, y'all. He looked to the heavens and he blessed it. Then he broke it. And then he multiplied it exponentially and fed a multitude. Listen, so that after the 15,000 were satisfied, after your multitude is taken care
0: of. (laughs) So after your multitude. Boy, she just did that seamlessly. Listen to it again. I mean, she's... It's part hand in the narrative and part hand in narcissus. Jesus. It's unbelievable.
7: And then he multiplied it exponentially and fed a multitude. Listen, so that after the 15,000 were satisfied, after your multitude is taken care of, says that there was 12 baskets of leftovers, one for each disciple.
0: So when your five and two is multiplied, there's going to be lots of baskets full of your five and two left over after Jesus does this thingy-mabobby, miracle thingy on it. Right, yeah. So what's your five and two, and what's, what's your multitude, man?
7: So really, they left with more than they came with.
0: So clearly the people at Church by the Glades have no concern. Uh, whatsoever about being deceived and have no idea that they are in completely in in danger of the fires of hell, based upon the kind of preaching and nonsense that they put up with, that is clearly on its face in open rebellion to the written word of God.
7: So you give your five and two to Jesus, I promise you this, even when you feel like you've spent it all, you will leave with more than you came with in the first place.
0: And, again, there's no promise there in Scripture regarding my five and two and some multitude that I'm supposed to be facing in my life.
7: Lord Jesus!
0: Okay, yeah, sorry, Priscilla, you don't get to pray. And the reason why is because it's clear the Jesus you believe in is not at all even remotely related to the Jesus of Scripture. You've created an idol named Jesus. Sounds a lot like him, but he's... Um, There's certain things that have just been omitted that are, um, well, really important, like repentance and the forgiveness of sins and obedience to his word and not allowing women to preach sermons and then twisting and narcissing. Yeah, you kind of get the point that I'm making there. I have got myself agitated. This one really bugged me. Yeah, it bugs me when there's open rebellion on its face against God's word and people who call themselves Christians sit under it and then they're being deceived clearly by the devil, a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they think they're applauding it as if somehow they're getting some legitimate word from God when in fact they've all been deceived and are literally in danger of the fires of hell. And the Jesus that is preached is not the one in Scripture, it's a one—one one of their own making, one who's there to basically, well, fulfill the dreams and destinies of their life. Because after all, they are so important. <sighs> yeah, you know, Scripture warns us in the last days that it would be treacherous. People would be lovers of themselves, and that day is now upon us. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback@fightingforthefaith.com. or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ by His death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.